And this is the Love the Cove podcast, where we'll be diving into covenant history and exploring what makes the Evangelical Covenant Church covenant as we move toward our future together as mission friends. Hey friends, it's Kathy Norman Peterson. In an earlier episode, we talked about the passion of our founders for reading scripture together. Today, we're diving into that conversation a bit deeper as we unpack our identity as people of the book. First, Jane and I sat down with Michelle Sanchez, Executive Minister of Making Deepened Disciples for the Covenant Church. And then we get to hear from Garth Bolander, who serves as Superintendent of the Mid-South Conference, as he shares his story about how he became Covenant and why he loves the Cub. Michelle, thanks for being here today. In an earlier episode, we talked about how early covenanters focused on reading the Bible together. And in this episode, we'd like to delve more deeply into that identity. So can you tell us why is the Bible so integral to who we are? First of all, I'm so delighted to be on Love the Cow. This is awesome and amazing. Thank you for the invitation. Yes, I would love to talk about why the Bible is so integral to who we are. Our first affirmation is the centrality of the word of God. We have six affirmations and really every other affirmation flows from this one. And in the covenant constitution, we say that we're committed to the Bible as our only perfect rule for faith, life, and conduct. So if you look back from the very beginning, the covenant has been a movement born out of a deep commitment to the Bible and really not only to the Bible as like an object, but to the transformational Christ-centered and spirit-filled reading of the Bible. So that kind of approach to the Bible that the covenant has had, it's really connected to pietism. During the revivals of Sweden, People were dissatisfied with the prevailing approach of the Bible at that time. Essentially, the uh, official church, the, the, the national church, was approaching the Bible in a very legalistic way at that time. And frankly, it was not accessible to people. People literally were not allowed to read the Bible, make sense of it on their own, and gather to, to study it. Well, people began to resist that stale approach and break the rules by gathering in small groups called conventicles. And in these conventicles, they would read the Bible together in transformational ways. And uh, actually, people that were part of the movement were called Lazare, which roughly translates to readers. So our earliest people, the people that we are coming from, were essentially renegade Bible readers. <laughs> That's who they were. And it was only a matter of time before a new movement was born. That's awesome. Yeah, I think um, I love the readers, you know, and then I've also heard uh, that we use the phrase people of the book. Can you mm -hmm. tell us about the origins of this term? 
Yes, people of the book. Okay, so most importantly, it refers, as I have said, to our commitment to the centrality of the word of God in everything that we do. It's about a passionate commitment to the Bible. But there's another dimension to the people of the book phrase, which I will address. The covenant has always identified as a biblical church rather than a creedal church. I'll say that again because it's a very interesting distinction. We've always identified as a biblical church rather than a creedal church. And that's not because we say anything goes, but it's because we want to keep our emphasis on the Bible itself. So we say that we are not committed to any particular creed or doctrinal layout of Christian faith, but we are committed to the Bible, okay? Um, And it remains vital for us in all things to always understand where it is written and not as a kind of proof texting approach to the Bible, but as a holistic approach. What's in the Bible? How do we fit into that story? Everything comes from that. You know, in 2008, the covenant approved its very first resource paper, and it was on the topic of how the Bible engages in biblical and theological reflection. The idea, the hope for that paper was to help the covenant to remain a biblical church rather than moving toward becoming a creedal church. And in a way, you know, I think that There will always be some pressure to become a creedal church and to define exactly, you know, the point by point what we believe in. But that's just not been uh, the covenant's approach. And the, the resource paper is very interesting in that regard. I recommend you read it. But here's a quote from it. Whenever we say that we are a non creedal church, we mean that we have chosen to allow the text to be primary in our faith, doctrine, and conduct. We have worked hard not to allow particular interpretations of texts to take precedence over the text itself to guide our life together. Now, you know, I think um, this is a, a tough thing to accomplish, kind of a hard tension to balance. And, you know, it may make some nervous because we don't spell everything out point by point. Yet, um, we've always had this beautiful freedom Um, in our approach to the scriptures while remaining anchored in the scriptures. Can you give us a couple of key moments in covenant history? Yes. Okay. So I'll just highlight a few, a few things. So at the time of the covenants founding, there was a famous sermon now part of covenant lore. uh, And it was preached on Psalm 11963. And that reads, I am a friend to all who fear thee, to all who obey thy precepts. This verse really became a kind of rallying cry for why the covenant should exist in the first place. And it describes our ethos. So we say, I am a friend to all, and this is um, the importance of being in community with other, other believers. But it's to all who fear thee. So obviously people who are committed uh, to obeying and following God. And that final part, obey thy precepts. Um, And so this is where we get into the commitment to the word. You know, um, it's we are a friend to all who are dedicated to the word of God um, and to worshiping God and fearing God through it. So essentially that um, really defined the, the founding moments of the covenant. 
Some other uh, key points in our history would be, you know, at the very beginning years of the covenant, much of our energy around Bible engagement was centered on youth, uh, engaging youth. And so you can see that in our Sunday school commitments at the time, in our confirmation uh, processes and resources, um, heavy emphasis on the Bible for young people. Time goes on, and I'll, I'll skip ahead to Evelyn Johnson when she was leading the Department of Christian, Form, uh, Christian Education. She used the Bible uh, to really equip youth leaders and pastors together, essentially training the trainers in how to use the Bible in our context. Doreen Olson uh, followed with the Department of Christian Formation. And her emphasis was really on a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit as we read the word. So it was really taking a um, deeper formational approach to the word, including things like uh, spiritual practices like Lectio Divina, divine reading. I want to also mention, again, that covenant resource paper on the Bible, uh, our very first resource paper, and it came with a corresponding small group study and one of the things that is valuable about that um, is that it highlights five key approaches to how covenant people read the Bible. What I really want to say about that is there was a need, you know, the covenant has grown very rapidly over time and diversified very quickly. So um, this paper was designed to provide some more framework and kind of guidelines to well, how do we read the Bible, right, as a covenant people? And there are these five words. Um, we read it faithfully, communally, rigorously, charitably, and holistically. So covenant people, according to the resource, resource paper, we read faithfully. We approach the word of God um, and, and the faithful attempt to meet him and encounter him there. We read it communally. We read it together um, with our present church members, as well as the historic church. We read it rigorously, paying careful attention to cultural context. We read it charitably um, with regard to differing interpretations of scripture. And then we read it holistically in the belief that it's the whole Bible that guides us um, and not any particular proof texting approach to the Bible. So those are some key covenant history moments when it comes to the Bible. Um, after the Department of Christian Formation and the Department, sorry, the Department of Christian Education and the Department of Christian Formation came Making Deepen Disciples, the mission priority of Making Deepen Disciples, which is what I am leading now. Could you give us a couple examples of how you see us living into this commitment more recently? Yes. So I was so delighted when I first began as executive minister of Make and Deepen Disciples. Um, I had an early conversation with previous president, Gary Walter, and we talked about what would be you know, a good first effort for Make and Deepen Disciples in this new season. And um, he highly recommended that we engage the Bible. And um, at the time, uh, people were talking about a new resource that was bringing people together around the Bible called Community Bible Experience. 
Essentially, it is a community-based book club approach uh, to the Bible designed to take whole churches and small groups through large portions of the Bible together. And so um, community Bible experience is what it was called, and it fit. (laughs) It fit in terms of all that I've been talking about in terms of um, taking us back to our roots as people of the book, going back to that which has united us. Um, and not only that, but doing it together in community. And so um, so Community Bible Experience ended up being my first um, covenant-wide initiative. And it was very well received. Um, people were eager to dive into the Bible together. And we had hundreds of churches and tens of thousands of people um, actually touched by this initiative and engaging in it. So that was really exciting. Um, Just so that everyone knows, uh, this hopefully most will know, but want to make clear that community Bible experience has now morphed. So we're, we're no longer calling it that. It has morphed into something called Immerse. And essentially, it's the same it's the same thing, but better. Let's let's put it that way. Um, the same uh, partners that we were working on, and it's the same with, and it's the same kind of approach. Um, so the idea is we want to immerse ourselves in the Bible. And through the immerse approach, uh, a church or a small group or individual could go through uh, the whole Bible um, in you know twice a year increments over the course of three years. So it's really a way to immerse your community fully within the word of God. And that is something that we can get excited about as covenant people. Most North American evangelicals would agree that reading the Bible together is important, right? So how is our approach to scripture different from other evangelical bodies or is it? This is a great question. Um, So, yeah, we are fundamentally evangelical, and I would say that in most of the ways that that is important, um, we are similar to other evangelicals in our approach to the Bible. But I would say um, I will highlight two different, you can call them flavors or something, in the way that we read the Bible. So, number one, um, because of our pietism foundation, We're really concerned that anything we do regarding discipleship is about the transformation of head, heart, and hands. And so at least in the last century, um, many evangelical bodies have led with the head. Uh, And and that's great. We we love the head. We love making sure we know our Bible and educational classes and all of that. But the covenant has tended to lead with the heart. And um, with a you know massive concern around encountering God and around transformation as we read the Bible, I would say once again though um, all three are important, <laughs> right? And so, although our emphasis has been leading with the heart, we also want to make sure we're healthy and engaging head, heart, and hands. And I think most evangelicals would probably agree with that. Um, second. There was a great article that was written in the companion, um, which was by John Phelan. It was called Setting Boundaries or Finding Life. And if you look that article up, Setting Boundaries or Finding Life, the whole article is about how the covenant approaches the Bible in a distinctive way. So I, I do recommend that. But essentially, again, it's he's talking in that piece about how 
um, some evangelical approaches have tended to look at the scriptures in the effort to set boundaries, um, you know, in terms of who's in and who's out. Of course, there's some dimensions uh, to which that is important. But for the most part, the covenant approach has been, um, you know, more concerned about looking at the scriptures to find life um, and, you know, not as concerned with the boundary setting. So again, in a, in, in a season where there are, you know, hard things and controversial things, you know, you know, it's, it's both and really, we want to find life and we also want to understand doctrine. But again, these are just some comments on covenant flavor. <laughs> so you, you mentioned some ways that we're living into this part of our identity more recently. Is there anything else that's going on with Bible engagement across the covenant that you want us to know about? Yes. So three very quick things that I, I want to mention. So first, um, we have a partnership with the Institute for Bible Reading. And so if you just Google that, um, you can read more about them. They are the ones who have produced Immerse, the Immerse uh, resource. And then you can read about um, the approach to it and where it came from and how it works. It's, uh, the Institute is an action-oriented think tank that is working to change the way the world reads the Bible. And it's been great to partner with them. They actually have a number of uh, people that are covenant leaders, um, or I should say they have a number of leaders that are covenant people. And so uh, in that way, um, we share many things in common. I'm also serving as um, an advisor. I serve on the board of advisors for the Institute. So that's one. Number two, I just want to call people's attention to um, a class at North Park Theological Seminary that Max Lee, Professor Max Lee, has taught for a number of years called Intercultural Readings of the Bible. It was actually a, a course that was prompted by the students um, who really were curious about making sure that we not only understand the cultural context of the Bible itself, but also understand uniquely how um, we can gain more from the Bible when we read with a diverse community. And so it is a fantastic course. You can find the syllabus uh, also if you Google it. And I highly recommend many of the, the resources that they read um, together as part of that to read the Bible interculturally. Um, and then finally, I would be remiss if I did not mention. So um, you may have heard of the Version Bible app. It is the most downloaded Bible app. Um, available. And it happens to be produced by a covenant church, Life Church, which is the largest covenant church. Um, and they just passed some ridiculous amount of, of downloads. I forget what it was, half a billion or some ridiculous number. Um, and it's so exciting to know that this Bible app is being produced by a covenant church. So we have been and we remain people of the book. Final question. As people of the book, how do you see God inviting the covenant church into this part of our identity? So I will conclude with a quote by David Nival. He said, the Bible is God's book, but in a special sense, it is the Christ book. And I really appreciate that, um, that idea that the Bible is the story of Jesus, the Savior, from beginning to end, to the extent that we realize that, 
that, it will become a richer resource to us to the extent that we know that we will meet Christ in this book. The Bible um, will really come to enliven our faith. And so um, I encourage us, you know, think of the Bible not as just an object, not only as God's book, but in a special sense, the Christ book. I am the superintendent of the Mid-South Conference of the Evangelical Covenant Church. We're a young uh, conference. We're just about 20 years old. And um, I've had the privilege of serving uh, as a covenant pastor, grew up in a covenant church in Glenellen, Illinois. I've served as a covenant pastor in multiple, uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Woodstock, Connecticut, Modesto, California, Kansas City, Missouri, and then now uh, as a superintendent. So I've been blessed to serve in multiple conferences with great congregations and learned a ton. Dixie and I have been married for uh, 51 years, which is amazing. We have two daughters, two grown daughters, and six grandchildren. So uh, how did I come into the covenant? Um, I'm like a multi-generational uh, covenant person. My great-grandparents came to this country as immigrants from Smoland, Sweden. And uh, I never obviously knew them. Uh, they moved uh, when they immigrated to this country in the mid-1800s. They came to uh, northern Illinois. I don't know much about them because uh, their two of their children, my grandfather and grandmother, um, they did not live past their 70s. So we never really talked much about uh, the immigrant story. And uh, I wish we would have learned more because uh, just in terms of family connectedness, et cetera, my great-grandfather on my grandmother's side uh, was a farmer and kind of uh, lost. He, he died um, tragically one night near DeKalb, Illinois. He was going out wandering in a field. I think he had had some dementia and froze to death. So just uh, kind of a a common immigrant story of suffering and struggle and um, survival in the new land. And then my, so there, my grandfather's uh, parents were Bolanders. They actually, their name used to be Gustafson when they all immigrated to this country, five brothers, and they all changed their names. So uh, that was what was done back then. So we don't really know why they chose Bolander. We have some suspicions, but um, anyway. And then my grandmother was, her family name was Benson. They met in Chicago and uh, they were a part of what used to be called the Evergreen Covenant Church, which was uh, an immigrant church around where North Park is now, North Park uh, University. Back then, it was just, you know, fields. And then uh, after my grandfather and grandmother got married on my dad's side, they moved out to New Jersey. And, well, first of all, to New York. And they were warmly welcomed as, you know, first-generation immigrants, I guess, um, by a small Swedish congregation in the Bronx, 
New York uh, is now a covenant church primarily. It's a wonderful covenant church, primarily African-American uh, in the Bronx. But that's where they were welcomed uh, as Swedish immigrants. And they so that's where my dad was raised in New York and in the New Jersey area uh, during World War Two. Um, my dad enlisted and met my mom uh, down in South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina. And so they had one of those classic, they met, they sort, they fell in love, then my dad was shipped overseas, they corresponded with, um, through writing, and uh, then after the war, my dad came back, they got married, and um, I was born several years later after they finished college. So uh, for the first early years of, of our lives, we moved around quite a bit because my dad was recalled in the Korean War, Korean conflict. And then we eventually settled in a Western suburb out of Chicago. And we started going to a church plant, which was a church plant of a denomination that my dad was familiar with. And this was a church plant that eventually became Glenellen Covenant Church. Mm -hmm. And Glenellen Covenant Church was uh, my quote unquote home church. And I could talk for hours uh, with gratitude for friendships and mentoring and examples and pastors. In fact, uh, so we just moved our Mid-South offices after being in the same place for 15 years. We had to move because our landlord needed the space. So literally all of our stuff is still in boxes and moving is a drag, as you know. But uh, so in moving, you find stuff you haven't seen for a while. For instance, I've got my confirmation Bible given to me by the Glenellen Covenant Church many years ago. <laughs> There's a wonderful friend who used to be the council, general counsel for the covenant named Carl Clockers. He, he and his family were in the church, and he gave me a copy of the Bible that his confirmation class gave to our pastor then. His name was Pastor Wally Pollock, and also gave me a collection of Pastor Pollock's sermons. So that just illustrates the power of the local church to spiritually and emotionally and socially shape uh, the next generation. So I was very blessed. Um, I wrestled. I went to college in the 60s and 70s, a very volatile time in uh, this country. I uh, met my wife, Dixie, in college. She was um, as a musician in the music, was a music major. Dixie really helped me get you know, when you get married, you kind of learn things about how a perspective on life that you didn't have. And so uh, our marriage just helped me get some clarity on vocational direction. And I can talk a long time about call to ministry. But basically, two things began to emerge in my life. One was just the kind of love for the Bible and two, love for people. And um, so more I'm one of those, I call myself an accidental pastor because I always put pastors on pedestals and I was never good enough in my mind uh, to be a pastor, never godly enough, never all the things that you sometimes think a pastor is. But I did have this year, this love for the Bible and love for God's people. And so I began to 
start a trajectory. I went to a seminary, I finished my seminary career at North Park, and all of that learning kind of helped shape me into becoming uh, a pastor in the covenant. The first seminary I went to uh, was Gordon Conwell, because I'd been raised in Chicago, and we wanted an adventure to go out to New England, so we did. And But while I was out there, it was an interdenominational seminary, and that's where it really became clear to me that I uh, needed to humble myself and to kind of aim, pick a lane, not just kind of offer yourself and see what happens, but pick a lane. And so uh, it became clear. And again, Dixie was so helpful saying, hey, you were raised in the Covenant Church. Uh, that's your lane. So went back to North Park and finished up there and learned so much about uh, our roots and about our identity as a covenant. And because uh, the covenant church I grew up in in Glen Ellen, it was a new church plant. It was a wonderful church, but it had kind of the blessing of one foot in the larger evangelical world and then one foot in the covenant. So they were both. And uh, that has shaped me, I think, to be able to be it, what I do now. Earlier, you had mentioned really being into the word. Yeah. I know that in the covenant, we refer to ourselves as people of the book or people of the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how have you seen that get lived out through your years? Um, what's memorable for you around that? My first year in seminary, uh, we had uh, a well-known pastor. He's, he's died now, but his book still linger named Dr. John Stott from uh, England, from All Souls Church in England, kind of a real global leader. And he came and gave a series of lectures, and he talked about how uh, one of the, the most formative discipline in his life, so at the time, I'm like, what, 22, and because uh, the Vietnam War was on, and for some of us, that meant going to seminary was, I'd been four out of the Army, but it was still, we didn't have a gap year, just kind of went from college to seminary. So I'm a young man, and I'm hearing Dr. Stott, and you love his accent, and he's brilliant, and um but I'm still not clear about what my vocational calling is and who's clear at 22. Anyway, um, he said, the most formative practice I have in my life is that I read through the Bible every year. Mm-hmm. And he used a lectionary called Robert Murray McShane's lectionary where you read through the Bible, the Old Testament once and Psalms and New Testament twice. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. That's amazing for people like that to do that. And then I heard uh, another guy, um, a man named Harold Lenzel, who came and gave some lectures. And he also talked about reading through the Bible every year. And he said, I've done it for like 40 years. And I'm thinking, I've never even read through hardly a book in the Bible, much less the whole Bible. Um, And, of course, Dr. Stott said he read it every day on his knees, which was like, really? Um, I decided when I was uh, the first church I was in in Woodstock, Connecticut, where I was now the preaching pastor. I'd been in, in Michigan. I'd been an associate pastor, a youth pastor, but now I was the preaching pastor. And so that was back in the day when you know, there was Sunday night church and Monday, Sunday morning church and Wednesday night Bible studies. You just a lot of, a lot of teaching, a lot of content. 
And I decided I was going to give it a try. And, uh, you know, to the glory of God and to the most, I think, the, the greatest treasured time in my life now uh, for a lot of decades. I've read through the Bible every year. I use the, um, the one-year Bible that Tyndall publishes. So you get Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs. And honestly, it takes like 20 minutes a day. So it's not a huge time cruncher. But I, I write in the margins. I write the date. Uh, the year that I'm reading, not the date, but the year. And um, it's, it's, it's so remarkably both formative, helping me to get a biblical worldview, and also uh, the devotional personal impact of the Word of God, you know, as a to us. To a, out of our wonderful pietist heritage, it's not just a theological textbook. It's a personal word from God. I just have innumerable examples of how God has used his word in a particular crisis, on a particular, with a particular need, and on that particular day. So, uh, I just, that has been very formative. And then I I really, you know, the, the amazing thing about the Bible is that the more you're into it, the more you're into it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, the more you get into it, it's the, the world of the Bible, and uh, it's, it's amazing uh, cohesiveness uh, with all over, what, 1,600 years and 36 different authors and 66 books, one story. Um, it's, it's pretty remarkable. So, uh, I, I find myself in this season of life, like the best time of the day is just to be quiet in my brand new office with, I can't find any of my books, but I got my one-year Bible out and uh, I'm surrounded by chaos. But when I'm there, it's a still center and I'm grateful for that. And then, you know, I've, I've had a lot of years of preaching and teaching, and I'm just so grateful that the assignment is to help people understand the Bible and let the Bible help people rather than me being clever and smart and funny and trying to draw people to hold their attention. But let, let the Bible do its thing. And I'm just more of a, of a conduit. So that's, that's been the privilege of it. Could you just go a little bit more into... Basically, reading the Bible in a the, the whole Bible in a year, right? Yeah. So, like, um, yeah. like why why is that beneficial? Because I'll say for me, I'm more like manuscript study person. Like, I love yeah, yeah, yeah. Say more about like the so, yeah, why? I will. So, to me, it's a both and. It's not an either or. For me, uh, and this is what I picked up from Dr. Stott years ago was that he he had this phrase, and I, I'll I'll butcher it when I say it, but he said when you Read the Bible in a year, you get the whole flow of the biblical world. And I just thought, you know, that's not a bad thing. So, you know, you're reading this, the Genesis account, and now we're, uh, you know, moving into the story of Jacob and uh, all his many wives and his conniving and his scheming and... Um, 
how he got his comeuppance because people schemed against him and all that. Uh, then, you know, you're reading the gospel of Matthew, uh, and then uh, there's a psalm every day. I haven't read today because I've, we had, I've been too much going on, but uh, I will. And then there's a proverb. And so it's like there's just, it, it's kind of like spiritual nutrition for me. Uh, at, like almost taking vitamins, you know, vitamins, you just take them every day because they're good for you. And it's like a spiritual supplement at the same time. Uh, and I don't do this as much as I used to. And I, I miss it because I'm not teaching like I used to. But, you know, pastors have the gift of being able to do exactly what you said, like dig deep and do a deep dive into what the Bible teaches and how does how does it apply to my life? How does it apply to the people I'm trying to help? Uh, how can I make this truth relevant for today? Um, years ago, we had Dr. Stott come to a midwinter conference, and he said the challenge of the preacher is to uh, exegete the biblical world to apply it to the modern world. And so, and so he even wrote a book called Between Two Worlds, and that was his idea was that you got one world over here, the biblical world, you got the modern world, and you, you're a bridge. The challenge, I think we, we can fall off on either side and not and be not helpful because if you just all talk about the biblical world with no modern world application, um, it's just kind of like sitting in a classroom. You know, people get caught up in their own scholarship. At the same time, if it's all modern world with no biblical roots, then there's um, an unintended shallowness. And I think uh, it becomes simplistic, not simple, but simplistic. So I just I think it's a perpetual exercise to navigate both worlds well to exegete the modern world and to exegete the biblical world and bring them together. So uh, it, to me, that's, uh, I, you know, another biblical world, another word that, to, that describes that is incarnation. That's what Jesus did. He brought heaven down to earth. And I think, you know, that's part of what we do with the Bible. We try to bring it into the modern experience. For our last question that we wanted to ask, I mean, recognizing that, you know, it's, it is part of, you know, you are a superintendent, so there's a job related to it. What keeps you at the covenant today? And what invitations do you sense God extending to us? What, what keeps me in the covenant? Well, you know, I was raised in the covenant church, so I've got the affection of family and generational blessing and um, formation. So that's, I'm very grateful. It's my people. Uh, at the same time, um, you know, raised where I was raised, I had the opportunity to, like I said, have kind of a foot in both worlds where I went to the, the Covenant Church uh, back in the day when it, it really shaped my life. You know, it's, it's Sunday school. It's, it's what they used to call high league, uh, which is high school stuff. It, uh, it was Sunday night church. I mean, we, our, my dad and our family was, uh, 
if the doors are open, we're there kind of people. And I did, I have no regrets or um, hostility towards that. It was just all life-giving. Um, but I also had uh, a larger group of friends, both believing and not believing friends uh, in, you know, grade school, junior high, high school, that kind of thing. So I had both and it made me appreciate the covenant church because my, I didn't understand it at the time. I see it now that the covenant church had had a generosity to it, had a hospitality of welcome, but it also had a generosity. And, and for some of my uh, Christian friends, for instance, who were in a different tradition, they had a lot more restrictions and maybe uh, unintended kind of Pharisaism, even when you're young, like we don't do what they do or we're not like that. I was very grateful for those friendships, uh, for their zeal. But at the same time, I didn't ha struggle with some of the, of the quote unquote hangups that they might have struggled with. So this is all because it was I was, had the privilege of being raised in a in a healthy missional church. And so I was grateful for that. So what, you know, where, when I sense God calling me into pastoral ministry, again, finding your lane, the covenant church was my lane. It was my people uh, because I did not, I could still be who I was uh, as opposed to becoming something I wasn't so that I could be on the team. So, uh, I am grateful in the covenant that there is the fluidity uh, of being able to, to be deeply rooted in what I believe is like historic, evangelical, uh, compassionate orthodoxy, but at the same time, uh, not be so narrow that the lane shrinks down just to like five or six of us. So it's a wide lane. And um, when I was at North Park Seminary, I learned so much that season there. And, and our, my professors all talked about uh, part of the ethos of the covenant was figuring out what are the debatables and what are the non-debatables. And that the covenant church is a great place for people who are uh, ready to have good conversations, good-hearted conversations about the debatables. But there are some non-debatables, and that also uh, define us. So I just love that, that uh, hospitality, that, you know, that we use the phrase mission friends. I love that because it's, it's the great commandment and it's the great commission. And that kind of simplifies down the, the mission of Jesus. I honestly uh, often call the covenant the undenomination like the UNCOLA, because we have enough organizational, missional cohesion to stay together, but we're not a one-size-fits-all. And so, like the conference I serve now, it's such a blessing. I just got off this Zoom, and I could talk for a long time about how, what a privilege it is to serve with these pastors and how much I love them, because, um, you know, we're basically... 50% uh, of our churches are non-Anglos. So we have this incredible diversity that goes on in our conference. We had some really uh, scintillating conversations this morning about 
culture and about what we're learning and about um, menticide and mass psychosis. I mean, we were all over that and just a lot of wisdom. And um, if I could show you a snapshot of today's Zoom, uh, you would say, this is the covenant. I have always... I came to understand that the covenant at its best is an immigrant revival movement. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Mid-South Conference is. Pretty much all the people on the screen today, you can trace their first generation or second generation uh, immigrant experience, except for our African-American friends. And of course, they were un, unintentional immigrants. But we still, we bring that kind of ethos to our life together. So um, that that dynamic of the immigrant experience and the power of revival for the gospel to change lives, I love that about the covenant. A thought would be, because the covenant church is a movement, an immigrant revival movement, there is great strength and there's great vulnerability. And I think part of our perpetual challenge is to uh, learn what it means to be family, to learn what it means to be mission friends, to um, be really humble with each other. Um, Because, you know, the thing about, you go back to like my immigrant great-grandparents, their issue was not pride. Their issue was survival and how to live, how to follow Christ in a new land. And I think their humility, their hard work, their love for Christ and each other, um, learning all these new things, language, culture, etc. Those are values that will help us go forward as a denomination. Thank you, friends, for joining us for the Love the Cove podcast. We'll be posting new episodes every other week. If you're interested in sharing your story on when you felt like you were covenant, send us an email at lovethecove at covechurch.org. Bye.